to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about everything related to business continuity management, disaster planning, crisis communications, emergency response, emergency management, and anything that can be related to to where we need to be prepared for, for events. And as always, uh, I'd like to reach out to our listeners if there's any topics you want us to talk about. Please feel free to send me an email through the Voice America webpage, and you'll let me know what topic you want us to talk about. Or if you want to be a guest, please contact me, and we'll make arrangements, we'll set something up, and we'll get you on the show. I do want to apologize up front. I am getting over a cold, so uh, if I sound funny or the odd little sniffle makes its way in, you know, I apologize up front. Um, I'm doing my best today to uh, work through that. And just as a reminder uh, for our listeners, uh, especially in the Toronto area, um, I will be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, May 29th to 31st, be interviewing uh, a lot of the speakers there, and we're going to have them on the show. So we're going to have a lot of um, new people and uh, fresh ideas come forward. Uh, So please uh, feel free, check that out, Continuity and Resilience Today, and as I said, you know, I ask our listeners every so often to send me topics, um, and then you know I go find a guest. Sometimes I come across things where I want to talk to uh, somebody about their new ideas, and every so often I'm checking on uh, Amazon and different book sites because I'm a, an avid reader, and I came across a book that I really enjoyed. It's called Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. And my guests today are the authors, David Lindstedt and Mark Armour. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Um, David, can you take a, a moment or two and kind of tell us a little about, a bit about yourself and how you got into uh, disaster recovery and business continuity? Yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, at first I thought you were going to apologize because Mark sounds funny, but, you know, he just sounds funny, so not much to do with that. <laughs> um, so uh, I've been in project management and business continuity for about 20 years, um, Uh, I served as the Director of Enterprise Continuity for the Ohio State University. It's got 60,000 students, 32,000 employees, 500 buildings, five campuses. It's uh, like a little city in itself. Um, When I got done with that, I moved into more of the thought leadership aspect of business continuity. Uh, I've taught classes in project management, business continuity, ethics. I'm on the board of the Journal of Business Continuity and Emergency Planning. Great. Uh, Mark, could you take a minute and introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Mark Armour. I currently work for Breaks Incorporated, a secure logistics provider. I've got over 15 years uh, in this discipline. I started at a financial institution in November of 2002, and uh, since then, I've, I've been running either components uh, or global programs in and of themselves. And uh, for the past four and a half years, I've been at Brinks running their global business continuity program. Uh, great. Um, I just want to ask a quick question. How did the two of you come across uh, or meet each other to actually write this book, Adaptive Business you know, Continuity? We, we can ask that every 
once in a while. I can't remember. We, I think we make stuff up each time. Um, I, think, uh, I think we were both writing and speaking on really similar topics. And uh, we ended up speaking uh, not at, at the same time in different sessions at uh, Continuity Insights in, uh, I think it was Arizona. And uh, one thing sort of led to another. Oh, yeah, we is just, that, is just that... discovered that we had uh, we were very very like minded as far as our uh, our belief in uh, some of the shortcomings of this discipline, and, and we had uh, similar similar thoughts and perceptions around where it should go and and what could be done to improve it. Oh, great! I, I was just wondering, I, I, did they meet at a conference? You know, were they colleagues? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we need to make uh, up do... a better story next time. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, work, we'll work on that one. Got to get better. It's home in Paris or something. Something uh, with skullduggery and cloak and dagger stuff. Be good. Well, I guess I shouldn't laugh if we're saying terrorism there. Right? <laughs> but I do want to congratulate you on the book. Um, I do have a copy. It's right here in my hand, and I've got notes and scribbles all the way through it. I think there's a lot of fantastic ideas in here. Um, and I am one for moving the, the BCM industry forward. You know, um, every industry has to, you know, to to keep growing and, and get better. And in your book, I know you outline you know, some of the current issues. So, Mark, why don't we start with you? You know, what are some of the current issues that uh, BCM DR programs are and, and practices, you know, are, are, are we encountering right now? Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll start with maybe my, my top two. Uh, I think our profession still has an unhealthy focus on plans and documents. And, and I know a lot of people are moving in the direction of, of lighter materials, uh, more actionable plans, but the whole methodology itself is structured around development of a plan, not just development of a plan, but the process of defining the scope for the plan and then training and delivering awareness about the plan and then exercising the plan and then maintaining your planning documentation. And unfortunately, I, I don't find that current methodology works. We need to think about this from an organizational preparedness perspective. Plans are one component, but they're really one small component among many. Uh, the other big issue is, I believe, current methodology and standards uh, attempt to solve what I think is a very complex problem, that of organizational recoverability through methodology alone. Um, I think most people now know, uh, even though our standards don't reflect this, but that a practitioner needs a certain level ex of expertise and some essential skill sets in order to improve an organization's ability to effectively respond and recover. By the same token, an organization itself needs a wide degree or a great breadth of capabilities in order to be able to respond and recover effectively from disruption. And again, this, this can't be solved simply through methodology. We need to understand the skill sets, the capabilities, the competencies that are needed um, both by our practitioners within the discipline as well as the capabilities needed within an organization. So I'll hand it over to David. You, you bring a good uh, point. You said skill, skill sets. What kind of skill sets did you have in mind? You know, were you thinking? Uh, there's a wide degree. So I would say chief among them is communications and, you know, the ability to communicate at all levels within an organization, to be able to speak with executives about things that are important to them, at the same time being able to speak competently to the folks at the ground level who may be having to develop plans, capabilities, competencies. Um, there's a certain certain degree of 
time management and project management skills that are that are necessary to be effective. And I, I feel I feel like our discipline doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about that, and instead focuses just on the methodology and the steps that people should take without really without really addressing well, what do you really need to be able to do and what skills or expertise do you need to execute those actions? Hey, and, and Mark, when you talk about communication, I, I'm, I'm guessing you don't mean like formal communication out through the networks and social media. You mean like active listening and engaging the people and the, like the, all the soft skills that come along with it as well. Yes, yes, correct. Thank, thank you, David. Thanks for, for, for helping me clarify. But yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's the soft skills. It's the, it's the presentation capabilities. It's the one-on-one face-to-face communication. And it's even just written communications. You know, if you need to get a, a, some kind of awareness or maybe some kind of understanding across a, a wide group of people, through written media, through presentation, through workshops, all of those are, are part of that communication. Well, well you know, and it's funny that you uh, that you talk about project management because project management has been trying to wrestle with that very similar issue. And you look at the traditional project management; it's uh, you know inputs and outputs, and uh, you know very coming from the uh, aerospace, and they had to really wrestle with the fact that it takes a lot of soft skills to make a project actually succeed, and it's difficult to, uh, to codify those in terms of inputs and outputs as the, uh, as the aerospace folks might want to do it. Um, but it's so important and so crucial and so difficult to, to try and talk about as well. Yep. It's interesting that you mentioned project management and communication because both of those topics I've had as on the show before with experts in there, and they've said the same things that you have said. And I, I do agree, especially with the soft skills. You know, I also work in project management myself, and I completely on side with what you were saying. So, David, what are your top two issues? Uh, two. So, I think. When you go to conferences, when you read journal articles, when you just talk to, to people who are in the profession, uh, we have a common string of laments. Um, executives aren't giving us the resources, the appreciation, the buy-in, the support that we need. Uh, the people we work with, at the, the participants in our planning meetings, they don't care. It's boring. We have a tough time quantifying, showing the value of what we bring to the organization, and on and on on and on. Uh, something is clearly not working here. Um, there are a lot of problems with the reception and the value of proposition that we bring uh, and the business of business continuity. So the first, one of the first two is, it, it, something's not working. Um, you know, we keep doing the same things over and over again, uh, and it turns out that they're still not providing the value that we want. And one more BIA, one more exercise, one more conversation in an elevator about how important business continuity really, really is, is not going to change that. You mentioned that, you know, you are interested in moving the discipline, the industry, business continuity forward. Uh, well, it's time to do that. We've been stuck with pretty much the same methodology that we inherited from pre-Y2K days. Um, so we're talking about uh, IBMs in a time of blockchain. So it's time to make some significant uh, changes. And my second point would be um, in related disciplines, project management now has Agile and Scrum. We have Lean. We have Six Sigma. We have Management 3.0. We have the Growth Mindset. We have the Lean Startup. We have uh, a wealth of 
uh, improvements and jumps in related disciplines, and business continuity has made just tiny incremental changes over the last two decades. We need to incorporate the lessons learned from related disciplines into our own disciplines and time for us to make these significant changes. We need to move from the uh, professional practices and proven, uh, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, best practices, professional practices, the actual proven practices. What's actually working out there? Uh, what is it that people, that practitioners, that professionals are doing that's moving the ball forward, getting the recognition, providing the value? Let's find out what those things are, and let's use more of those and less of the stuff that isn't working. Now, I'll I'll like, add, so oh, go ahead. D d sure. So David mentioned uh, initially uh, that we've been struggling with the same problems year after year. So, so the big, the big topics um, that people used to complain about when I entered the profession 15 years ago are the ones that are still the topic of discussion today. How do we get executives engaged? How do we execute a business impact analysis? How do we get people to actually use their plans when a disaster occurs? And in my mind, if we're still struggling with the exact same issues 15 years down the road, that's clearly indicative of the fact that we really haven't addressed those problems and we're not going to solve them going down the same path that we've been following for the past 15 years. I agree with you. I have been to many conferences myself and there's always the same topics that come up, and you mentioned them, you know, resources and uh, executive buy-in, et cetera. And they do, they tend to just keep, you know, repeating the same thing, regurgitating the same old story year after year, and nothing seems to move forward. I like the other point you mentioned about taking best practices. I remember talking with somebody who was a, a consultant with a large um, consulting house. I won't mention who they were, but they said, you know, best practices, when we go out there, it's just our common practices. It's not industry best practices. And I think your comment about the best practices that are out there, the, the good industry ones, the, thing, the, the items that actually work, are, are being overlooked. You know, and, and your point about lessons learned, well, they're not lessons learned if we're not actioning them. They're just observed. Right. That's exactly yeah. right. And, you know, we have two things working against us here. One is that, you know, we're supposed to stick with the standards. We're supposed to stick with the regulations and the ISO standards. And so we don't want to talk about the workarounds. But when you start digging into things like a BIA, you find people are like, oh, oh, well, we don't do that. We do this other thing. We just call it a BIA for the auditors. And there's a lot of things like that. There are workarounds and creative, innovative, innovative, interesting things that people are doing out there, and they, they don't want to talk about them because they're not the right things to do. The other thing working against us is we, I, I think because we have a bit of a, um, oh, what's the right word? Well, we have a history with um, ITDR and security and emergency management that uh, we don't like to share very much. We're, we can talk in real general terms, but we're not going to share documents, we're not going to share information, and some extent we're not going to share what we're doing, because um, that gives too much away. And some of that's true. Of course, we have to be careful about what we talk about, but I think we can be a lot more open about the kinds of techniques that we are employing that get uh, uh, the best results, so that we can further protect our companies and further protect our communities. 
I, I agree with you on that. I remember uh, talking with some other speakers at a conference in Toronto about five, six years ago, and they were all kind of arguing amongst themselves who owns business continuity. You had the disaster, um, like the civil uh, servants type groups saying that they kind of own business continuity. You had emergency management first responders saying they did. You had the corporate people saying they did. And I kind of, I'm standing there as a BCM person. I'm kind of going, oh, my God, <laughs> what, what yeah. mess is this in? <laughs> yep. What a, yeah, what a statement on our profession, uh, our discipline, that uh, we have a hard time just nailing down what it is. It's no wonder that the executives look at us and go, yeah, I don't really entirely understand what you do, and I don't see the value proposition, and I guess if you have to do it to, for the, to solve the regulators' problems, then great. Uh, otherwise, I'm moving on to something else. Yeah, I think, I think it was Warren Buffett who said, you know, if you can't tell me what you do in 30 minutes, just move on. Or, sorry, 30 <laughs> seconds, just move on, not 30 minutes. <laughs> exactly right. Agreed, agreed. And I, I, think, I think we're seeing the results of some of that, right? Because I think business continuity is at risk of being swallowed by risk management or by information security because we haven't stood up and said we're disciplined in our own right. The work that we do to prepare organizations is equally worthy of attention and resources as risk mitigation and controls, as information security and protection. And rather than doing the hard work of standing up and saying that we're separate, we're distinct, um, and we're complementary, we instead just hitch ourselves to an existing wagon in, in, in the hope that they'll bring us some degree of legitimacy. Right. Well, on that note, we're going to take our first break. And we're talking today with David Linstead and Mark Armour, the authors of Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. And we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to preparing for the unexpected with alex fullen email your questions to info at stone-road.com again that's info at stone-road.com now back to preparing for the unexpected and welcome back to preparing for the unexpected we're talking today with authors david lindstedt and mark armor of adapted business continuity and just before we went on the break or actually while we were on the break um, David and Mark, you both had some interesting comments about how this kind of came about. And, and I had mentioned that, you know, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, doing things different and I have done things differently. Can you kind of um, uh, recap what you had said during the break for our listeners? I think you both had some really good points. Sure. So I'll, I'll start. So um, adaptive business continuity, uh, as I was saying earlier, I don't think of David and I as kind of creating this in a vacuum. We certainly had some ideas. We were already doing things differently, but we also already knew of other folks in the discipline, other practitioners and professionals who were kind of straying off the beaten path, who were being very creative and innovative in how they solved this problem outside of written standards. And this is partially born to kind of give them legitimacy and also to tell people, you know what, there are other approaches to this discipline. There are ways to deliver more value, to be more effective. And so we, we kind of just used that to put a framework around it, and we gave it a name, Adaptive Business Continuity, and hopefully as a result, that will give people hopefully the, the I guess, the, the legitimacy and also give them some confidence that we've got another way and a new approach that's already been thought about. We've already kind of wrapped a framework and some kind of approach and methodology around it. So is that meaning some of the things that you uh, gentlemen have put together in your book have actually come from uh, real experiences that uh, maybe not all of it, but some of it has come from real experiences and conversations that you've had with people. Definitely. Oh, great. Uh, David, did you have anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we go out and we talk to people and we bring up these kinds of topics, they're like, oh, you know what, I've always thought that, or I've always wondered that, or we've been doing just that thing, and it's out there. People are they are clever. They know that uh, a lot of the traditional practices are not providing the value to the organization that they want, um, and so they're trying new and different things. I think uh, one of the lessons we can take from Lean uh, and from Agile is uh, to be able to try some things. Go, go out and try some new experience. You know, if, if it works, do more of it. If it doesn't work, do less of it. And if you don't know if it works or doesn't work, then try little experiments and be able to pivot and be able to, to, to change what you're doing and learn from it and get the information that you need. Um, but it's absolutely out there. People are doing all sorts of wonderful, interesting, creative things to provide the value. And again, at the end of the day, uh, we're all about, you know, moving away from 
documents, which provide not as much value, to actually improving the capabilities of the people and the resources in an organization to recover. Well, I, I tend to, I, I do agree with you. I tend to think that the um, the end deliverable, the plan now, is not really the end result. The end result seems to be you know making people resilient, and the plan is used to help make them resilient, and then the plan kind of disappears. Because I found many times when tests are being go, uh, you know held, whether whether it be simulation or a component level test or whatever they're doing, the plans end up sitting beside the person who's doing the test because they, they now know what needs to get done and say, well, we actually don't use that plan because, you know, this piece doesn't count and we know what needs to get done. And they focus a lot better without actually going through the plan, which I found yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think that's the way that it should yep. be. I'm not sure that's the way that we, we see it very much. Um, you know, and one of the uh, one of the principles of the, of the Adaptive BC Manifesto is that you should document only for mnemonics, only to remember things. Um, it shouldn't be, and we know from books like the Checklist Manifesto, from the research that's out there, people in a crisis don't pick up a big manual and start reading. They can't process that kind of information, um, and that's not the way that they like to see it. Now, if they have a checklist, that they say, oh, I remember, uh, we were going to do this thing, and oh, we were going to go here. Oh, and that's right, we were going to call Sally, and she was going to help us. Okay, good, that's the kind of stuff uh, that you need uh, to recover the service. Um, not these long documents. But I think, <clears throat> as Mark was saying, when we start out with a focus on documentation, we're already off on the wrong foot. We're, we're much more worried about writing down the right sort of thing in the right sort of sequence with the right sort of number instead of just preparing the organization to recover. Yeah, well, I, I agree. Say as, as someone who, who provides services to to retail and financial institution clients globally, um, so often we're approached with the question, "Where's your plan? What does your plan look like?" Um, and, and that's that's clearly that's clearly predicated on standard methodology where everything everything is built around a plan. And I think Alex, you hit it hit the nail on the head uh, in that we shouldn't expect people to kind of follow a written document, particularly in response to a disaster where things are chaotic. And of course, sometimes the, the event that we're, we're responding to doesn't even conform to the scenarios that we develop the plan around. So I, I think the first thing we need to do if we're going to be successful is abandon the notion that we can actually write a plan that's going to serve our purposes for all types of scenarios and disruptions and events. And to your point, we need to focus really on giving people the competency and the capabilities and the resources that they need so that when those events do occur, they can they can kind of run with it without having to open up a open up a book or look at a plan. Well, it reminds me when I was um, speaking with uh, a couple of colleagues, and I tend to get in trouble for saying this. I said, you know, the the one part I said I don't worry about in a disaster, I said, is IT. And they said, why? You know, you need your IT disaster plan. And I said, well, I said, even third-party vendors, if you have a third-party vendor, they're going to know how to rebuild a, a mainframe. They know how to connect, you know, get email up and running. I said, that doesn't need to be documented out, you know, maybe at a very, very high level. I said, but a lot of those guys already know how to do it. So why do you need a, you know, a thousand-page binder on how to do it? Yep, exactly. So you mentioned, um, actually, I can't remember who mentioned it, the uh, the manifesto the Adaptive BC Manifesto. There are some uh, principles with that. So could you kind of uh, let us know what uh, some of those principles are? 
So, Mark, you, 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 why don't you go first, man? Ah, so uh, there's there's ten principles in all. Um, one of my favorite is is um, don't exercise or don't uh, exercise instead of testing. Uh, I think so often, and this is this is when we look at standards and current methodology. We put tests and exercises at the very back of the process. Um, and you know, I've, I've seen people argue about whether you call it a test or whether you call it an exercise, but if you're doing all this work up front, you're developing a plan, you're training people on what the plan says, you're building all of this criteria around what the plan's supposed to help you execute, and then at the end of all of that, you say, okay, we're, we're going to exercise. People are still going into it like it's a test, right? They're expecting that they're going to be graded on whether they follow the steps in the plan. Um, obviously, they're going to be graded on whether they recover within the time documented within that plan. And I think I think that results in us missing all of the opportunities that exercises provide for people to build those confidences and those skill sets by walking through the process of responding and recovering. Um, it gets us away from really what I think the nature of an exercise should be, which is identifying the improvement opportunities to make you more effective at response and recovery. If you're going in and you're testing, your overwhelming objective and the incentive going in is to pass the test. And if you're looking just to pass the test, you're not gonna you're not gonna point out any of the problems that you encounter. You're much less likely to find opportunities to make some improvements to how you respond and recover effectively. Whereas if you put it maybe at the start or put it elsewhere within within the, the life cycle or the process, people will approach it more as an exercise. Again, that opportunity to familiarize people with what the steps are and also focus on the opportunities that exist to make improvements. Kind of like a checkpoint. You know, we'll get this far down the road and we'll do a checkpoint. We'll like have a, a, a group gathering just to see where we are and how things are going type thing rather than we're going to have a test and pass and fail you. Correct. I'm, I'm, even a, I'm a big fan and a big proponent of exercising first. I believe, you know, if, if you're going to start somewhere, well, why not bring people into a room you can throw a scenario out there and then find out what people do intuitively, what people, what resources do people know exist and what do people struggle with. And that way there's your opportunities to make some improvements. And you've already built some competency along the way. And now through subsequent exercises, you can, you can build on those. So is, you know, is and that... that's, you know, the, Go ahead. We, we, we led with a, a manifesto like the agile project management movement led with a manifesto to say, Look, this, is a, this isn't a sequential life cycle of uh, practices that you have to perform. Um, this is a, a nonlinear approach with some significant guiding principles that allow you to have the flexibility that you need to be able to create the capacities and capabilities that the organization needs. So, you know, so often we go into a meeting with... Um, with uh, uh, our participants, and we'll just sort of open up and talk a little bit, and then maybe they'll talk about how, uh, and Mark knows this is exactly the, the example I'm going to use because I stole it from him, but, you know, maybe they're <laughs> talking about how um, they need laptops at home, but nobody takes their laptops home because they have all sorts of cords and headphones and mice and things, and they don't have laptop bags. 
And here is a huge opportunity to get people to bring their laptops home, and we say, okay, that's really interesting. Now, let me tell you about the business impact analysis, because that's the first thing we need to do. And let's sit down and talk about now, if there was going to be a mudslide, do you think that would be a two or a three of an impact to your, and et cetera, et cetera? We need to be able to be much more flexible in the kind of help that we can provide and following along in these kinds of discussions. People have natural concerns, they have ideas, they have ways that they know that they can improve the way that they are, and we need to be able to be flexible to go with this and not go in and talk at them about the BIA that is then followed by the risk assessment, that is then followed by some strategies, that is then followed by a test, that is then followed by awareness and training, and we do it all over again with the document. You both brought up some interesting points. I do like the idea of uh, moving exercises up front. Because you could, without anything going on, you could find out exactly what the expectations of uh, executives are and what's important to them and find out what the users uh, or employee base or management level even, what they know and what they don't know, and then work on those gaps that are identified. And I like the other point um, that you mentioned, you know, uh, if a mudslide is a two or three of an impact, you know, how, how do you assess it? Well, I, I'm sure you both have been in sessions where uh, uh, a respondent will say, well, if it's the month end, it would be a three. You know, oh, my gosh. Terrible. Yes. <laughs> if it's, you know, beginning, if it's mid-month, well, then it's a two. You know, if it's year-end, blah, 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 and, you, you know, you kind of end up all over the place. That's exactly Correct. right. You know, and that's one of the one of the things that led us to really think through the nature of time and how we use time in business continuity planning. And I'm going to argue that we really misuse it. But you know, so much of these conversations end up very quickly with, well, it depends. It depends. If it's a Friday, it doesn't matter. If it's a Monday, it matters a lot. If Stan's in the war room, then he's going to care about his VIPs. But if Sally's in the war room, she's going to care about. And it goes on and on and on and on. And uh, we've got to be able to have an approach that allows us to have a flexible understanding of what it is that people really do and how they will really react in a situation and be able to prepare along those lines. Agreed. Mark, I think you were going to say something there. Oh, yeah. I was going to add on what uh, what David had said earlier around the fact that uh, – so the manifesto that we, that we wrote and that preceded the book, um, it's, it's a list of principles, right? It's, it's not a sequential step. It's not a life cycle. Uh, we intentionally put them in alphabetical order to illustrate the fact that order doesn't matter. The idea is that the principles apply all the time. Um, and some of the principles, you know, some, sometimes we're taken to task for them because they, they are – contrary to, to established methodology. Um, and sometimes we're, we're even taken to task because maybe it's common sense. Maybe it's something that most everybody else does. <laughs> we just can't win, really. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is, it's, this it's is true. true, but I, I, think, I think some of these principles are worth pointing out. I mean, a good example is we state specifically engage at many levels within the organization. And a lot of people come to us and say, well, we already, we already engage. We understand that's, that's the best practice. It is, but if you were to look at all of the written standards that are out there today, whether it's ISO 22301 or NFPA 1600, DLI, BCI, they all devote a lot of time and a lot of paper to getting executive buy-in and support. And what we want to do is, is highlight, yeah, you do want to engage with executives, but it's just as important, it's equally as important to engage with 
with management and uh, supervisors and line level folks and the, and and even the frontline employees are probably going to be actually executing this plan and I mm-hmm. think the overwhelming words and and uh, paper that are devoted to executive support and engagement within existing standards give I think new entrants to the field the impression that that's the most important part to focus on. They also are given, I think, an incorrect belief that as long as they have executive support, everything else falls in line, right? Or it's sometimes, conversely, sometimes it's an easy scapegoat. Well, if my program's not working, it must be because I don't have my executive engagement and support. And Good David, point. I know a lot of people in a lot of programs that are great programs that run really, really well, but they don't have a whole lot of executive engagement and support. And conversely, there are programs that have regular buy-in and engagement from their executive team, but there's no support and buy-in from the lower level folks and the pro and the programs fail as a result. So I think it's just worth, worth highlighting again that these are principles. Some of them seem common sense, but they, I think they are worth highlighting just because of the fact that current standards and methodology don't point this out or make it, make it less obvious. There was a good point about, uh, you know, just because you have management supply uh, support doesn't necessarily mean you have a good good uh, program, you know, uh, yep. and used as a scapegoat. I think that's a good point. And on that, we're going to take our next break. And again, we're talking with David Lindstead and Mark Armour, the authors of Adaptive Business Continuity. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. 
Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking about adaptive business continuity with authors David Lindstedt and Mark Armour. And uh, to our listeners, I hope you're picking up some great ideas here, new thoughts. Um, this has uh, been really uh, a great uh, show for me. I'm really happy with uh, some of this new information that's coming forward. And before we went away on the last break, we were talking about some of the 10 principles. Um, but let's get into a little bit of the book structure because there's one piece I think that uh, um, might rattle listeners, but at the same time I think is a key point. And in one section you have, you recommend no BIAs or risk assessments. So what, what are your thoughts about that? And why? Sure. So this this happens to be one of the uh, one of the principles within the adaptive business continuity manifesto as well. Um, I'll, I'll start. I'll talk a little bit about the the BIA, um, and then I'll let David kind of finish up with the risk assessments. Um, as far as the BIA is concerned, um, we're already finding a lot of evidence against the effectiveness of the business impact analysis process. There's a great paper by an individual by the name of Rainer Hubert, um, which I believe was nominated for Paper of the Year by BCI a couple of years back. Really good reading if you can find it. But there's others out there. There's Jim Mitchell with EBRP. There's Gary Sickich, um, Samuel Shanton. And they all point to some of the just the wasted effort in the BIA process itself. Um, and the truth is we're already moving away from the business impact analysis. A lot of practitioners, thought leaders are already promoting a greatly scaled down version of the BIA deliverable. As David already mentioned at the top of this program, a lot of people are doing things that aren't BIAs. Um, they're doing process maps or dependency maps. They're doing SIPOC diagrams. Um, and then they're simply calling it a business impact analysis. So what is that? But what is that? But illustrating the fact that we're already moving down the path of getting rid of the BIA anyway. Um, what I, what I think is unfortunate is our standards are kind of doubling down on the BIA. ISO has already developed a standard around the business impact analysis process itself, ISO 22317. Uh, BCI just released their new good practice guidelines, which includes three different flavors of the business impact analysis. And I, I, I generally find that there's very little value in the business impact analysis and that a lot of the work of preparing organizations happens outside of that process. And I, I think with current methodology, by putting it at the very front and we're kind of reducing and setting the scope for all of the work that's going to take place from that BIA deliverable, I think it already sets us off down the wrong course. David, do you have anything to, to add? Well, Mark, I think you're entirely wrong. I, I think the BIA is clearly the backbone, the foundation <laughs> of a proper business continuity program. Um, I, it, do, it doesn't work. Um, there is theoretical, practical, uh, all sorts of problems uh, with the BIA, and I think we just need to recognize them and move forward to the logical conclusion. Now, that's not to say that there's you end up getting some interesting information from doing a BIA. Great, focus on that. Do you know? Uh, uh, Mark mentioned the SIPOC, which basically is sort of like, you know, look, what are the high-level inputs and outputs? of what you do here in payroll. Well, that's good to know. Uh, what are the big systems that you use here in payroll? Okay, good. What are the big... That's great. You know, I can probably do that in about 15 or 20 minutes. 
30 if I want to really want to dig in and get to some more interesting things like that. There's no way we have to take so long uh, to go through that. That's interesting that you mentioned dependencies, inputs, and outputs, because uh, over the years I've changed the way I do, uh, quote, BIAs, and inputs and outputs, it, there is an actual section for that. You know, what, what do you take in? What do you send out? What do you get in from internal? What do you get in from external? And what do you send out, you know, to other departments? And what do you send out to other clients and customers, you know, or your, your dependencies to, to understand? And that section does. It takes, you know, minutes to do. That's right. And so, uh, so and, and uh, the point I'll make that's similar to both the risk assessment and the BIA is I think um, it's one of the first things that a uh, linear, traditional business continuity approach says that we should do first. And, you know, right off the bat, uh, my experience has been that we are arguing with our participants, you know, uh, and we say, look, um, so tell me what the, uh, on a scale of one to three, what the financial impact would be if you lost 50% of your staff or you couldn't do this, uh, this process. Well, it depends. Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Are we on payroll processing time? Is it a weekend? Is it the middle of the night? Well, uh, that doesn't matter. Let's, you know, I just need, is it a two or is it a three? Well, it well, who cares if it's a two? Okay, it's a two. Oh, good, good. Now I have a two to write down. And we start to lose a lot of that credibility, a lot of that relationship capital um, by launching in a discussion, usually a lengthy discussion, uh, about is it a two, is it a three, what would it be if it was a four, how would the, instead of just saying, look, what, what, do you guys, what do you guys do here, and, and why is that important? And if you couldn't do it, who would care about that? And what would you guys want to do first if you couldn't do it in the normal sorts of way? And very quickly, we get to the value of what we're doing. One of the principles of the manifesto is to deliver continuous value and to do it in rapid iterations. We can do uh, very meaningful work and very valuable work to the organization, to the department, to the people in a matter of days. Uh, and we don't need to take all this time. We can continuously improve and continuously deliver value to the people that we're working with. And I'll add one of the other values is learn the business. Um, and some people say, well, they use the BIA to learn the business. But to David's point, if you're getting some value out of it, go for it. But I personally don't believe you need to conduct a business impact analysis to learn the business. I think it's more about having that conversation. What do you do? How do you do it? What do you need in order to do it? You don't need to wrap it around formulas and what I think are artificial numbers trying to arrive at some kind of what I think is, is generally an arbitrary recovery time. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because I, that's one of the things that I do now when I do, as I say, a quote BIA is I want to know what you do. You know, I, I, I don't need all this other stuff and I, I'm moving away from the, you know, the twos and the threes and you know, impact levels. You know, it's more tell me what you do. You know, and yep. all your dependencies, and then I can map what, out. Oh, here's here's what's important. You know, and that's what most people. That's why we found that most people are doing today. Um, and if you're if you're to go back to look at how a business impact analysis is described by our standards, I think I think a lot of people would probably be surprised that there's a lot of things that they're that they're not doing. So why do you think that um, you know business continuity is not? Uh, I'm probably going to go off topic of our agenda here, but. Why do you think that you know, that kind of thought and those 
um, ideas aren't being captured? What, what, what makes you, you know, what's preventing us from moving forward with those new ideas and approaches? Go ahead, Mark. You, you take this one. It'll be <laughs> so I, I think people already are. Um, the, the big issue that I take within our profession is what people are doing today, at least based on the conversations that David and I have had at many conferences, uh, based on people reaching out to us because of the book or articles we've, we've written, people are already doing things differently. Um, I, what, what I'm frustrated by is the fact that new entrants to this profession, if they do a Google search, what are they going to come across? They're going to come across ISO 22301. They're going to come across DRII's um, best practices or BCI's good practice guidelines. And they're going to think, well, this is what I must, be, must do in order to be successful and do this thing called business continuity when most of their peers who have been in this profession for any length of time aren't doing it that way. And I, I think that's... I think it's kind of sad that, that we're pushing on, on people this whole approach that a lot of people aren't even following today. It's interesting you say did that. I, because, did I answer uh, the question? I feel like I maybe maybe Nailed it. Nailed it. Absolutely. Nailed it. <laughs> no, it, it, it's interesting you say that because um, I, I remember speaking with someone. They said you could always tell a newbie from an experienced person. And I said, how's that? And they said, the newbie will quote, you know, all the different standards that are out there and the, the, uh, the best practices that are documented, you know, from a Google search. And the experienced person will tell you something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I really remember that one. And it's a shame. I mean, the life cycle is almost something like, you know, it takes you uh, a year or two just to figure out what the uh, standard approach is, and then it takes you a couple years to master the standard approach, and then it takes you a few years to figure out, well, that's not working, and now I need to try something different, and to unlearn uh, what we've learned and try and, and go through that. And to Mark's point, it would be lovely to find a way to short-circuit that and just launch right into the things that are providing value. Right. So we only have about three minutes left. So I think I might have to have you guys back to talk more about this because uh, there are some other stuff in your book that uh, you know I do want to, to our listeners to hear and understand. So I'll, I'll contact you after the show and see about getting you back uh, to talk more about this. But uh, let's give uh, each of you another minute uh, each to if you have any cl closing comments or things that you want to say yourself. Mark, why don't we start with you? you know, I was I was going to defer to David because I, I know I know David has some really great thoughts around. <laughs> nice, uh, nice, uh, yeah, well <laughs> done. That's great. Let me know how you're well, you you did it to him. So. <laughs> so, so David, do you understand? So let me. I'll throw this out and just say that I don't see a lot of practitioners that have been in our industry, uh, let's say more than two or three years, really excited about what they do. Uh, it has really become uh, compliance-driven, and it has become standards-driven, and uh, a lot of the check-the-box and fill-in-the-blanks and the numbers, and I don't see... Now, what I do see is that almost everyone is passionate about what they do. They care. They want to do better. They want to be respected. They want to provide value. 
And so they sort of keep, as Mark said, they double down. You know, they just they try and do a BIA harder, and they try and do one more exercise, and they try and have one more time with the CEO to show them how important the work is. Um, and that's not working. And I think there is an opportunity here to bring a lot more creativity, inventiveness, purposefulness, and even some very clear <clears throat> quantitative foundation for what we do so that we can not only uh, enjoy it more, bring more creativity to it, bring more usefulness to it, and also measure those results and start to, to demonstrate the value that we're providing to these organizations and our communities. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Uh, Mark, did you have anything you wanted to, to add to that? Or? No, I, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can take 30 seconds and just to kind of take us full, full circle. One of the big complaints within the discipline is executive engagement. And I, I think we try to solve that through, well, here's a different way you can engage, and here's other ways you should be able to speak to executives. I think, and we've already talked about how we sometimes lose credibility by forcing people to go into this BIA process, and then we perhaps deliver this BIA document to executive management that they see very little value in. I think if we change up our whole game plan, the executive support and engagement will follow because now they're seeing the value of what we're doing and what we're delivering. Great. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Congratulations again on the book, Adaptive Business Continuity, A New Approach. I recommend it for uh, everybody. You know, if you want to really challenge what you're challenge yourself and challenge what you're doing, pick it up and take a read through. There's a lot of uh, new, interesting ideas. I know my copy has all kinds of uh, tabs in it now. So, <laughs> and picked up some new things here today as well. And I've been doing this for 21 years. So there's always something new to learn and new uh, learn new new ideas. So thank you, uh, gentlemen, for joining us on the show. Thank you so very much. It was a, a pleasure. Yes, thanks for having us on. This is great. Uh, my pleasure, actually. Thank you. And a uh, reminder to everyone out there, uh, please come see me at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, May 29th to 31st. And until then, stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.